This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? Going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It is a bright, sunny Friday. Uh, looking forward to this weekend. What's new with you, Miles? What have you been up to? Hey, just hanging out. Yeah, getting to know your son a little bit? A little bit. That's good. I've been uh, doing the same. My kid is now just starting to get to the point where he's about to crawl. So that's the next big uh, That's the next big thing for us. He's still pretty immobile, but I would say by this time next week, I'm going to lose track of him as he's running all around the house. You're creeping up on like the six-month mark, right? He Seven? just turned six months. That seems like a lifetime away. <laughs> I know, but it goes fast. Everybody says that. Everybody's always like, oh, enjoy it while it lasts because they grow up so fast. And it it is weirdly true, even six months on, to be like, I remember when he was just a tiny baby, and it feels like that was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Why don't we jump into it? Uh, this week, we just have a couple of things to check in on, some some updates here and there. Uh, and then we've got a double feature from reporter Solomon Lindenberg. He wrote two really great articles for The Pulse this week, and we'll talk just a little bit about those. Uh, but to start off, just kind of an update on Wisconsin State Park campgrounds. They're going to be opening up on June 10th, and things are going to be a little bit different uh, for this season. So one of the things that they've implemented uh, is automatic touchless check-in. And you can also make your reservations by phone and online, which is going to limit the amount of face-to-face that the DNR staff has to do with people. So a couple changes to campgrounds. This is going to affect, like, what, Peninsula State Park, that kind of stuff? Peninsula State Park, Newport State Park, Potawatomi. Uh, Rock Island also has camping, but it's, I think you said June 30th they're waiting for because they're not running ferries back and forth. So, and there's no camping at Whitefish Dune. So it doesn't affect Whitefish Dune State Park from a camping perspective. And this is, and just to be doubly clear, because people get these confused, this is specific to Wisconsin State Park campgrounds that have been closed. Private campgrounds have been able to be open for a little while now. Right. I would definitely recommend checking out like individual state park campgrounds for more information on the DNR website uh, because different parks might have different things that you need to know before you get there. So I would definitely check in with those before your camping date. And then uh, another note on this, uh, talked to some folks down at at Peninsula State Park today. Um, The camp store and rentals at state parks are still not open. So uh, I talked to Jake Danen at the Nicolay Bay Camp Store, and they're they're told right now that they won't be able to open until June 30th. So just a little quirk in this. So if you're used to going down to Nicolay Bay and um, hopping in a kayak, renting f- bikes maybe at a certain campground or a cer- certain state park, that you still cannot do. Right. So why don't we jump into these articles that Solomon wrote for the paper. One of them is maybe one of my least favorite things in the world, and then the other one is maybe my favorite thing to talk about on the podcast. Uh, So why don't we talk about the fact that it's tick season. Miles, have you had any of these little gross things on you yet already this year? Uh, Not on me this year. I did find one in my bed the other day. Uh, I have a long-haired dog that collects ticks pretty well. We've pulled a few off of my dog in the last uh, few weeks, and people have told me it's a particularly, I mean, each year it seems like a particularly bad tick season because they just continue to spread in Wisconsin and particularly in Door County. 
if I get even one tick bite in a summer, it's a particularly bad summer for me. <laughs> so I feel that. I have two little dogs, uh, both of them in dire need of some grooming. So we've also been pulling ticks off of our dogs. Uh, first tick of the season got my older dog right above the eye, which was unfortunate, but uh, healed up pretty quick. I've pulled two ticks off of me in the car just last week. Really? I don't know, I don't know what. It was when I was driving around filming, are they blooming yet? So <laughs> like anytime I'd get out of the car and walk through the the grass over to the orchards. I think that's where they got on me. And pulling a tick off of your leg in the car is the like the worst thing in the world because I had to like while I'm driving, find some paper towels, pull it off, crumple it up, then I put it in a bottle that I had in my front seat. Like it was it was pretty involved. Uh, but you can't just leave them on you. So it it's a good idea to just like do a body check every day um this time of year. Especially if you're someone who goes out in the woods a lot or just walks through tall grass or orchards. And that's like you mentioned, you you were out filming the Are They Blooming? And we have an orchard next to our house that I take the dog on runs and bike rides through all the time. And there's tall grass there. And that might, in fact, be why he collects so many t- or she collects so many ticks. But last year I had one where I had actually thought like I, I had run into something or like bruised my leg. And it was just like tender on my inner thigh. And then about yeah, I don't know, maybe that night, 12 hours later or something, I was like, oh man, that is that is really tender. And I went and sure enough, that was a tick that was hanging on my leg. And it was like, it scared the heck out of me because of course you're thinking of Lyme disease and um, called the doctor, found out like, okay, you're probably fine. It's only been on there this long. Just keep looking for that rash, look for that ring that forms around it. But it is startling because Lyme disease is really, really scary to think about having. Right. Have you ever had to deal with it before? Have you ever taken antibiotics or anything like that for a tick bite that was particularly bad? I have not. Have you? I have not either. No. Um, I did wake up once last year with a tick that had totally engorged itself on my stomach overnight. Oh, man. uh, Which was scary. And I had some some redness there for a couple of days, but nothing like Lyme disease. No ring had formed or anything like that. But uh, it's it's scary. It's scary for your dogs, too. Like, that's the other thing. Dogs can get Lyme disease. Um, and it, it can be fatal for dogs as well. So um, doing tick checks, keeping up on that, I think is important. Yeah, once we got our dog, we went out and got one of those special tweezers for tick removal, which I would recommend to people. Um, mm-hmm. There are some tips that uh, Solomon included in his article, which if you just want to look at, open the paper and throw up, you can you can do that when you see the, the full color images of ticks on the paper this week. Um, I'm glad we we splurge for the color images on those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the tips in here, um, obviously long pants and, and long sleeves, tuck your shirts into your pants, um, maybe tuck pant legs into socks if you're walking through tall grass, closed-toed shoes, all those tips, but also wearing bright-colored clothing, which I hadn't really thought of that. But yes, you're, you're gonna if you're wearing bright-colored clothing, you're going to be able to see the tick um, more easily when you're right. walking or see it on your friends. So all those... Um, make a lot of sense. Um, and then there's obviously some repellents and stuff that you can use, but yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to mess around with them and it just keeps getting worse. I think one of the statistics we saw was, um, 10 years ago, there was like one report of Lyme disease in Door County. And I think it's something like close to 30 last year. Um, so it's still like not talking about hundreds, but that's a lot more than what we once had. Um, and then also I talked to somebody who has a cabin in the Northwoods who said in like the Northwoods area of Wisconsin, she goes up there with their dog, any hike that they go on and it's their dog is just covered in ticks. Right. So 
I think just us being on this peninsula has maybe helped us a little bit with the prevalence of them, but it's probably just on the increase. Yeah, I'm glad that whenever I've removed a tick from my dogs, it's only ever been one. Like, I couldn't imagine rolling my dog over and seeing, like, five or six attached to their stomach. That would be a nightmare. Um, another thing, and I don't know if it just lined up really well or if there was some talk about it, but there, uh, Deborah Fitzgerald wrote an article in this week's Pulse about some legislation relating to ticks. Yep. Um, the Wisconsin Assembly passed two bills in January that would require the DNR to warn visitors about the dangers of Lyme disease and to sell insect repellent at each state park, trail, and recreational area. So uh, it's called the Bite Back Package, uh, and it was passed in October of 2019. So uh, I, I've i always known ticks to be dangerous, but I guess I haven't been following closely just the prevalence or the increase in tick numbers over the last couple of years uh, that is requiring this type of legislation. Yeah, I, it, it's just crazy when you look at like these things are so damn tiny. And then they like Lyme disease can be so debilitating. It's just wild that like something so tiny can be so damaging to humans. Right. Right. Uh, And I think that we should mention too, like if if you're the type of person who's heard of Lyme disease, but doesn't know exactly what it is, or just know that it's something that you can get from tick bites. uh, It, it includes things like a fever, sweats, chills, headaches, fatigue, stiff neck, muscle joint pain. Uh, You get a rash. And then if, if left, untreat- if left untreated, it can cause all sorts of really devastating long-term effects like arthritis and meningitis, facial palsy, heart abnormalities, nerve pain, numbness, tingling. It, it's it's no joke. It, it's lucky that it is a pretty treatable thing if caught early on, but if, if left to its own devices, it can have some devastating permanent effects on you. So on that happy note, let's move right yeah. along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I didn't know really what Lyme disease was until a couple of years ago when I was really, you know, living in the woods for the first time. Um, I grew up with a lawn, so I might have encountered one tick a year. Uh, not, you know, very different from where I live now where tick checks are kind of a daily thing and we're pulling ticks off of dogs every week. So <laughs> uh, I'm sure that there's listeners out there who have heard of Lyme disease but don't know exactly how severe it can be. Um, but you're right. Uh, we'll move on to something that I always love to talk about on here, uh, which is Internet Access. Another article from Solomon Lindenberg this, in this week's Pulse, uh, where he was checking in about what schools in the area have learned about broadband access. This is something that you and I have talked about a bunch Uh The conversation really began when Gibraltar started investigating doing e-learning last year, uh, and the conversation has probably become more important over the summer as schools closed uh, in March and finished out the rest of the year online. So uh, what were some of your big takeaways from Solomon's research? Uh, Honestly, I think it's a lot of what you would have expected to hear. Um, A lot of inconsistency in internet access amongst students um, and families around particularly Southern Door, Northern Door, but also throughout the entire county in areas where you either have geography that limits the signal and availability of high-speed internet access um, or just a total lack of providers in certain areas. Um, And then in, in some cases, like we tend to think of it as a one student, like, yes, I'm sending you a video. Can you download that? Well, yes, I can, but I can't download that and I can't watch that video and keep up with my materials if I have two brothers and sisters in the house and a mom who works from home, <laughs> all using right. the internet at the same time. So I think what we found is that there is a, and, and schools did some 
great things, providing hotspots and trying to change lessons to account for this as they, they learned just what the gaps were. But we just got a, a long ways to go still in Door County to to provide internet to people. And it's, it, you know, this pandemic showed us how it can hurt education, but you know, we already know it, it hurts economic potential for people to work remotely or businesses to expand um, more efficiently and even in home sales. Right. Yeah. I think the, the big thing that I want to touch on for this is just how important high speed internet is for students who are trying to, you know, stay competitive or even keep up with their classmates when they're doing e-learning, because I would say the majority of e-learning is, you know, is video based, right? Teachers sending videos to the students to watch, uh, or even just, you know, video conferencing with students, joining Zoom meetings, that type of stuff. That takes up a lot of of data. And if you don't have access to high-speed wired internet, which is the majority of uh, the folks up here in Northern Door, you're probably relying on something like your cell phone's hotspot. And the vast majority of cell phone hotspots have data caps on them, usually something like 10 gigs a month, which if you've got two kids downloading uh, videos for school or doing, you know, doing video conferencing in addition to, you know, maybe watching Netflix for the family or doing something like that, you're going to eat up that 10 gigabytes really, really quickly, especially because it's pretty hard to to send like low quality video over the internet anymore, right? Most people's webcams that are built into their laptops or computers or something like that are sending HD video. And if you get into a Zoom meeting with your teacher and 10 students, that's a ton of video that's going over the internet. There are ways to reduce how much bandwidth you're using uh, to try to stretch those 10 gigabyte hotspots out, but it, it it adds up really quickly. Like you said, especially once you get two children, three children, all trying to do stuff at the same time, those hotspots just don't work anymore. You know, even with our podcast, we get emails once in a while from people who say, hey, I'd like, like to listen to the podcast, but do you have a transcript available? Because my internet speed doesn't allow me to download the podcast right. or doesn't allow me to listen online. And that's that's something I take for granted every day. But Right. Well, and, and even just like using the podcast as an example. So when I export the podcast, they usually end up around 30 megabytes. And that is going to get lowered by our our host's uh, compression as well. So I'd say most podcasts come out, if you're streaming it on Spotify or something like that, probably around 15 megabytes. That's not a lot. Uh, but if you've got one megabyte per second internet speed, that. 15 to 20 megabyte thing could take, you know, upwards of 20 minutes to download just because of how slow the internet can be up here. Uh, And that could mean, you know, listening to something with a ton of buffering delays in it, cutting the podcast in half, taking a 30 minute podcast and making it take an hour and a half to listen to. Uh, I, I can see that happening or just looking at your data plan and saying like, I'd love to listen to the podcast, but I just can't I have five gigabytes a month on my satellite internet and I have to use it for work. Like I can totally see that being a problem, even when you're dealing with file sizes as low as they are. Um, the other big thing that I want to talk about is kind of the the ending quote in this article from... I was just going to bring that up as well. It's, it's just yeah. such a telling statement. 
And this is from Patty Vickman, who says, three years ago, a new family chose our community as a place to raise their children and one in which they hope to continue their international business from home. But after a year of frustration with the lack of internet accessibility, they left the area and moved to the Fox Valley area in order to sustain their livelihood. And I feel like that is something that you see a lot more than you'd like to up here. And that's, uh, uh, we should clarify, that's Patty Vickman of the superintendent at Southern Door school. So that's right. the southern portion of the county, which if you live in northern door, you're, you're kind of used to all these gaps. And you kind you might think that southern door would have much better consistent access. But obviously, it's a big rural area with a lot of large gaps there as well. Right. And I would say that, you know, in terms of Door County's longevity and looking at like, what's Door County going to look like in 10 years? How do we get new families to come up here? I think that the two most important issues that we still need to tackle are affordable housing and internet access. And I think that even if you were to solve the affordable housing problem, the internet problem is still going to drive young families away because they're not going to be able to work from home or have their students be you know, competitive in school, all of that kind of stuff becomes uh, major factors for young families deciding to live here or not. Well, and this brings me to another conversation that I had kind of like the first three or four weeks into this crisis with a couple of buddies of mine, um, Chad Kanako from Husby's up in Sister Bay, who also runs a vacation uh, rental management company, and a friend of mine, Andy Warfel, who lives in Chicago, but has always been looking for ways to, to get back to Door County. And they had said, like, maybe this era, um, this the COVID-19 stay-at-home era might be an opportunity for a place like Door County as people realize, hey, maybe I don't want to be in the city in a time of crisis. I want to, maybe I, a lot of people might come out of this looking at ways to live in places like Door County and work from home. And a lot of, a lot more businesses have that flexibility, like even CDW, where, where Andy works, has talked about allowing, not bringing people back into the office for several more months and that might just lead to a lot of big corporations not investing in all this commercial real estate and letting people work from home. If yeah. Door County can get its act together from an internet prospect, like where better to work from home? My wife has worked from home for her company out of Chicago since we moved back here three years ago. I know a lot of friends who do that, where at least one um, spouse works from home. We have several of them in our office here at The Pulse. But so many of the homes are out of the buyer's market for that because they don't have reliable high-speed internet, or in some cases, reliable cell phone coverage. Um, but that, that is an opportunity. And if, if Door County can, hopefully, that this, seeing just how much it impacts even kids and businesses right now, maybe it gets the county on board with um, figuring out some of its tower problems, coming up with more funding for it, maybe treating it more like a public utility and less like a luxury item, because um, it could be an economic advantage for us. Right. Absolutely. I think that the more isolated a place is, the more, the more like the closer to paradise it is, I feel like the more connected it has to be. Cause like people love being able to get out onto the water or hike a trail and not see another person and have that like beautiful isolation up here or to get away from the city and come up here for a weekend. But without that connection to the rest of the world, it like that, I, the word isolation becomes more of a downer than something to look forward to. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's, we wouldn't be the first. Like Sandpoint, Idaho, when I first started reporting about um, internet problems in Door County 12, 13 years ago, when there was talk of doing like a fiber optic line, I looked at other communities, remote communities and what they did. Like Sandpoint, Idaho did a pilot project like 12, 13, 14 years ago. 
and got high-speed fiber fiber to this place that's just kind of locked in by mountains and is very remote, but but also a tourist destination. Um, it's more like we talk about Door County the way that like Sandpoint is a, a town or a city. Um, Door County is a, a long 80-mile stretch. It's a little, um, maybe we should refer to it more as like, Sturgeon Bay or Sister Bay, right? They're in very different, geographically, it's, that's a lot of space to cover. But right. if any one community could figure that out, um, obviously Sturgeon Bay has high-speed internet um, throughout the city, but some of these rural communities might be able to do a lot more with it. Um, there's, there's just opportunities, especially coming out of this era where I think you will see um, a significant portion of the population. And when I say significant, it's not like cities are going to... Um, be drained of residents as a result of this. I don't think that at all, but I do think there's a small niche of people that might try and that might be carved out that would be looking for places like Door County to live in right. and, and work from. One last thing that I want to talk about this week, if you'll allow me my selfish plug of the Door County Pulse show. Uh, this week, we had a really cool interview. The, the Pulse show, if you haven't seen it, is kind of our weekly roundup of the good news and views in Door County. Uh, it's a video it's a video show that we do every week and you can see it on our Facebook page. It's on our website. It's on our YouTube channel at Peninsula Pulse or at Door County Pulse. And this week we did an interview with uh, Vinny Chomo from the Friends of Gibraltar, as well as Cheryl Honig and Anna Foster from the Ridges Sanctuary. And they talked about a program that they had started two years ago called Forest Days, where they worked with Gibraltar students uh, to go out into Peninsula State Park every month and observe nature throughout the school year. So it was a great way for students to get out, kind of sit in the forest and make observations to, to kind of take on the the natural education in a way that was very relaxing. Uh, there's a bunch of standards, like educational standards and science standards that the program filled as well. Uh, and when the schools closed in March, they decided to continue the program virtually. So they started doing virtual forest days where they would send videos to the students uh, with educational stuff in them, also asking them to go out and observe the natural areas around their homes. And they got a lot of video responses back. And we did a Zoom interview with them talking about the program and also kind of showing some of the, the video responses that the students sent in. Uh, it's a really cool story that I've been following for a couple of months now. And I was glad to finally be able to uh, to get it on a show and to talk about it because I think it's something that's really important and was really cool to learn about. Yeah, you're doing a great job with that show, by the way, and people who haven't checked it out should. Um, oh, thank you. It's a, it's a fun little roundup of just like different voices and faces from around the peninsula. So Right. So if, you, uh, if you've been missing the county, if you're listening from outside of the county and you want to see what folks up here have been up to over the last couple of months, or, or if you're a community member who just wants to kind of have a fun thing to watch your friends and neighbors doing stuff in, uh, you can check it out. Like I said, it's on all of our social media and stuff comes out every week. Uh, that's all I have to talk about today, Miles. Do you have anything else that people need to know before we jump into our weekend? No, I don't. I'm sorry I don't have more to report. Um, fatherhood has me rather focused at the moment. <laughs> well, and I would say, too, that like this week especially, uh, pretty much all of the news is coming out of the same thing. If you haven't listened to our episode from... Wednesday, where we talked about the Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening in Door County, but also across all 50 states. I definitely listened to that episode. That's kind of what everybody's talking about right now. So there isn't a ton else to talk about, but I'm glad we were able to to share a couple of cool articles from this week's Pulse today. Yeah, well, you know, you, you mentioned the Black Lives Matter protests and demonstrations. Um, for those who aren't up here, 
and who maybe aren't uh, don't have all these business owners in your social media feeds, things like that. But there has been a, a strong outpouring of support for um, the Black Lives Matter movement from Door County, from Door County business owners um, who have voiced their support. There were demonstrations, obviously, in Sister Bay that we talked about earlier this week on the podcast. There was also a peaceful protest in Sturgeon Bay um, last night that drew about 150 to 170 people, um, almost all of whom were wearing masks at the corner of 3rd and uh, Michigan Avenue in Sturgeon Bay. And I'd emphasize that these are very peaceful protests. I, I saw some Facebook comments of people saying, oh, I'm glad I'm not in Door County now during this these protests. And Clearly, they didn't bother to click through and read the article or look at any of the photos or listen right. to any of the podcasts because it's, you know, these are very peaceful. These are people saying, we want to show our support. We want to show that, like, even in, in Door County, which is very homogenous culturally, um, that doesn't mean we can't support people of all races and all all kinds um, right. from afar. So, yeah, I just, uh, it, it's on everyone's minds. It's on every business owner's yeah. minds. It's uh, on our minds here at the Pulse of like, how do you do something that that matters, that doesn't sound cliche, that makes an impact. So it's something I've been thinking right. about all week. Yeah, and those uh, demonstrations will continue through the weekend up in Sister Bay as well. I don't know about Sturgeon Bay or other communities in Door County, but I know that the Sister Bay protests will continue through the weekend. So uh gonna continue to talk about this for a while and and i think right rightly so miles thank you so much for chatting with me today and i look forward to chatting with you again soon thanks a lot andrew thank you so much for listening to the door county pulse podcast if you want to support us at the pulse check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly pulse subscription purchase some incredible door county artwork from pulse artist ryan miller and much more We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.